So as I said, the connection cards are your friends, you know, asked about the poplar and plane tree, you know, trick. Andy knows all about that and uh, you can ask him to get back to you. Uh, but let's pray as we now turn to this mystery text and consider God's word. Heavenly Father, as uh, we hear a sermon that we did not expect, uh, may the text I've selected from scripture uh, nevertheless speak to our hearts and do us some good for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. So what is this ministry thing that Christians are always talking about? Uh, We want to get involved in ministry. Uh, A week or two back we had our equip week, our ministry training week, running all sorts of different courses and sometimes it can seem so vague and unstructured. There was the word one-to-one and the growth group leadership and uh, helping people with anxiety and uh, uh, simply Christianity and the public praying and uh, uh, being a good listener and on it went. Uh, And some of you might find the idea of ministry uh, vague or unstructured. Others of you just think, well, isn't it the thing that the minister up the front does? Uh, And I just want to say the joke is not true that ministers only work one day a week. Uh, But what are they doing the other days when they're not here on Sundays? Uh, Are we like spiritual social workers Uh, That's what the very confused mother of my best school friend asked me when I quit uni after two years uh, to go and become an Anglican minister. You know, why are you throwing away? You can't just serve God as a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist. Uh, What do you expect when you get involved in ministry? Is is there church politics? Is Is it... Lots of hatch, match and dispatch, as we call the baptisms, weddings and funerals. Uh, Or you're secretly hoping it's just lots of cups of coffee with people, chatting, talking, being there. Well, what I'd like you to do is see if you can sum it up in a sentence, what you think Christian ministry is all about. Write a sentence in your mind, uh, or better still, Pick a single verse of the scriptures. One verse of the Bible that for you grabs the essence of Christian ministry. You probably can't sum it all up, everything in one sentence, but the essence. What would that text be? And I want to say you've got to make sure it can apply not just to someone like Liam or myself or what Matt wants to do as he graduates soon and hopefully gets a youth minister's job, uh, apply it to the youth leader, the, the children, kids at five leader like Steve, uh, but not just to that, apply it to the people who serve in the English classes or the mums who lead the church's play group ministry, the growth group leaders, uh, the people who serve on parish council, what are they trying to help happen at the church Uh, when you got involved in the ministry training week, what was it ultimately leading towards? Can you sum it up in a verse? Well, here's my verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. I'd be very glad if you tell me what your verse was afterwards because I'm really interested, but I've picked 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5. It's on page 1161 in the regular... uh, burgundy coloured Bibles in the seats there. 
let me read it aloud for you 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 for what we preach is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake the Guardian newspaper obituary called C.K. Barrett, the greatest British New Testament scholar of the 20th century. And Barrett says of this verse, quote, it would be hard to describe the Christian ministry more comprehensively in so few words. There it is, let's hear it again. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. And that verse acts as a lens through which you can see the whole chapter. Uh, And with a hat tip to Paul Barnett, another commentator, uh, this verse, I mean, Andy's got a nice sermon outline there on the page but you've got to scratch it out I've still got three points only though so that's helpful Uh, but this verse gives us the method the matter and the manner of ministry the matter the method the matter and the manner of ministry and yes uh, any trainee English teachers here it does sound like you know the old debating coach at school Uh, I did debating at school and we always used to get marked on the uh, matter the manner and the method of your speech that you delivered Uh, and here it is the first point the method of ministry is simple it's preaching that's our method in ministry Uh, it's also translated in some of the other translations equally as well verse 5 here proclamation proclamation or preaching now I'm very well aware uh, I am very well aware there are lots of other aspects to ministry But I'm saying tonight that at its heart is preaching or proclamation. Uh, It's certainly fundamental to the responsibility that public ministers are given when they are ordained uh, and that's where I first delivered this talk. They are told to take authority to read and preach the word of God. And it's important to see here that by preaching I do not simply mean pulpiteering getting up in the big wooden thing and delivering a 30-minute monologue. Not even all ordained ministers occupy church pulpits, as some of them operate in classrooms as chaplains or others by the hospital bedside as chaplains. In fact, uh, some of them don't minister that publicly but in the lounge room. Uh, I'm convinced, of course, that the public... Uh, the public bread and butter of our preaching ministry should be the consecutive explanation and application of the scriptures chapter by chapter as ordinarily we would have been doing from Genesis tonight following along but the heart of the preaching is not that sermon rather it is I think helpfully captured by the alternate word sometimes used in verse 5 for the same reality proclaim proclamation because at its essence preaching is a declaration of the truth a proclamation of the truth and so you see uh, earlier in the chapter verse 2 
it says we renounce secret and shameful ways we do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God on the contrary by setting forth the truth plainly we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God no watering down the Bible in order to make it more popular or palatable like a fisherman baiting his hook disguising the reality of what's really underneath that tasty looking piece of bait now verse 2 puts it the essence of preaching is the open statement of truth the setting forth the word of God plainly and so I'm saying to you that can take place not just in the context of a lecture but dialogue and debate you can state the truth in your conversations as others declare their opinion just as vigorously back at you you can declare the truth while also carefully listening to the question asked beforehand and other people's responses afterwards you can preach in the gentlest of tones and with fairly few words and plenty of silence in between say at the hospital bedside of someone in difficulty the one thing ruled out by this method this ministry method here is preaching yourself it's not all about you we do not he says proclaim ourselves we're not the heroes of the ministry but Christ is as we'll see and so anyone in public ministry like Andy or Liam or Matt or myself must not use our status uh, to advance ourselves to take pleasure in being recognized in titles in getting benefits in uh, lots of followers in our social media ministry or whatever there is a real temptation if your ministry is a public one and means lots of talking to keep talking about yourself and of course uh, we are still tempted to do that in our personal ministries too Kevin DeYoung uh, wrote that the sermon when he graduated from his uh, seminary his Bible college was based on John the Baptist's words I freely confess I am not the Christ and the preacher said you may be part of the bridal party but remember you're not the groom you're not the Messiah so don't try to be he, he said this preacher along with the Apostles Creed make sure you confess John the Baptist Creed I am not the Christ um, and look what that tells you in whatever your ministry is whether it's a group of Sunday school kids or a, a small Bible study discussion group you lead or God gives you the leadership of a particular church whatever trying to raise your little kids just to sit still and just just read the bible for five minutes without driving everyone up the wall and say a little prayer you can't achieve everything you want to in ministry you, you, you can't get it all done uh, and positively that means you can take a day off and most importantly of all perhaps it's not the intellectual power or the rhetorical quality of your 
presentation or uh, the persuasiveness of your logic or how much you know that will change people's hearts because only the creative power of God can shine the light into blind minds. Uh, John Gray, the senior minister who trained me when I was an assistant uh, back from 94 to 98, uh, he put it more bluntly. He said, now Sandy, when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, what do you see looking back at you? And I was kind of thinking it's a trick question, so I sort of paused and looked like I was thinking intelligently. He said, well, look, Sandy, it's certainly not God looking back at you, is it? Ah, so don't try and do his job for him. The ministry is not all about ourselves, but proclamation of another. And that neatly leads to the next aspect of ministry in verse 5 here, the matter, the subject matter of your proclamation, your preaching. And Paul puts it ever so simply here in verse 5, it's Jesus Christ as Lord. We preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, Content of your message is just four words. In fact, sometimes it just collapses down to three, Jesus is Lord. That phrase occurs again and again in the New Testament. In fact, I think if if you had to say what the gospel was and you're only given three words, that is the best three-word gospel summary. Jesus is Lord. But, of course, therefore, we've got to take a little time to unpack it uh, because to an ancient Greek or Jew, as the original readers or hearers were, it would have struck you as oxymoronic. Don't you love that word, oxymoron? Uh, it's a contradiction in terms. To claim, for example, that someone crucified, that is executed as a criminal, could be the Jewish Christ, the Messiah, their king, well, let alone Lord, which was a title pretty much reserved for the emperor. Caesar was Lord, yes, supreme leader, whereas crucifixion implied defeat and a disgrace. And so what changes all that, turns it around? How could we say that Jesus is Lord? How could we know that what he did on the cross was not in vain but was actually an effective sacrifice for sin? It's the resurrection. The resurrection is what demonstrates publicly that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9 famously uses the little formula, if you confess with your mouth, it says, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And you can see it right here in the passage too, uh, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Skip down with me from verse 5 straight to verses 13 and 14. Look what he says there. It's written, I believe, therefore I've spoken. He's quoting an Old Testament passage. Uh, It's about speaking up from your belief. And he says, since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak... Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. In the verses I skipped over in between verse 5 and verse 14, well, there's a lot of trouble there. There's a lot of sort of getting beaten up and suffering and the sacrifices of ministry, the rejection you can get. And Paul goes through all that because of what he believes, he says. Namely, that God will raise believers from the dead. 
And he says that's an incentive to persevere when it's hard as a Christian. And one of the notable things from this passage is just how casually Paul assumes Jesus' resurrection as the foundation of his belief about believers. In a footnote in his own commentary, Paul Barnett, he was the retired Bishop of North Sydney and a university lecturer in ancient history, he writes, We're more confident to regard the resurrection of Jesus as historically true since what Paul says about the resurrection is introduced in 4.14 so inconspicuously and gratuitously as an undisputed reality. Uh, He doesn't spend any time providing proofs or evidences. He just assumes Jesus was alive. And why so? Because the Damascus Road experience changed everything for Paul. Because he had been a vigorous, violent opponent of Christianity, travelling to Damascus to persecute Christians. He'd seen this blinding light and a voice from heaven identified himself as Jesus. And so Paul was convinced He'd seen Jesus risen from the Lord right there, uh, risen from the dead right there and that's I think where Paul actually gets this shining light imagery that he uses in this chapter as a metaphor for spiritual illumination. The resurrection changed his life. And friends, I want to say that's what ought to motivate Matt as he goes off to be a youth minister and it's what ought to motivate Steve when he maybe takes up his career as a Sunday school teacher in the future or whatever it may be. It should be what motivates every one of you if you get involved in Christian ministry here at church. And I'm not just saying it kind of a... I say at every funeral, it's not a conventional comforting religious thought to sort of cheer people up on a sad day I'm speaking because I believe that Jesus is alive by the normal tools of historical investigation by multiple attestation from different primary sources that we have now found collected in the New Testament from the strong evidence of the empty tomb from the claimed presence and reports of the eyewitnesses including from the first female eyewitnesses who you wouldn't make up in an ancient world because their opinion was disregarded in a sexist kind of way Uh, and from the changed lives of the disciples it all convinces me Jesus is alive. Now I uh, next February will have been ordained 26 years and Five years ago when I first preached this sermon in St Andrew's Cathedral, the week before I'd attended the funeral of a mate, a minister from one of my classes at Moore College, the class of 93. He was just 51 when he died. My age now. And he left behind a wife and three kids, just like I have. And he was a runner like me. In fact, he died just as he got home from a run. And there were tears at that funeral and there was so much emotion in the room, but his family managed to stand as one and praise God for the gift of their husband and father and to hold on to the hope of resurrection because they knew that with Jesus, God would raise Andy Stirrup. He's a lecturer at Youth Works College. In his first appearing, our Saviour Christ Jesus has destroyed death 
when he died on the cross and brought life and immortality to light when he rose. And I understand that's a massive claim. And of course people could have questions and I challenge anyone here tonight uncertain about it have you ever really seriously looked into the evidence take a look at Jesus with your adult mind at his life and amazing teachings at his death for our sins and especially his resurrection all recorded in the New Testament the end of verse 4 in our passage says Christ is the image of God that means he he, he shares and expresses, as it were, he pictures God's very nature. It's what we celebrate coming up in Christmas. He is God come down putting skin on. And if you want to know what God's like, well, check out Jesus. He is the best advertisement, not only for the existence of God, but that he's alive and changing lives. And so it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is the subject matter of our proclamation. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom we are to be on about in our ministries. And so thirdly and lastly, to the manner of whatever ministry God gives you, uh, in a single word it's this, servanthood. You should have seen that coming, shouldn't you, if you read verse 5 there. We preach... Jesus Christ as Lord, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Uh, The ministry word itself, you see it in verse 1, Paul says, through God's mercy we have this ministry, that ministry word, uh, it could equally well be translated service. We have this service, we have this servanthood. We have this servant role. Uh, The word used for servant down in our verse 5, the New Testament experts actually would tell you it's the even lower word, it's the slave word. It It doesn't really matter in the end the difference because Jesus himself combined the two words servant and slave when he said most famously in Mark chapter 10 that whoever would be first among you must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many we take our lead from Jesus and his sacrifice giving his life on the cross And so it reminds us, when when we enter the Christian ministry, again, I don't just mean the full-time blokes, you know, when you make the commitment to serve Christ, to get involved in your church and to to do some ministry, you're giving up your rights. That's what happens to a slave. A servant just is, is to do what he's told by his master. And if Jesus is Lord, our role is clear, it's to serve him. Or rather, as Paul puts it rather interestingly here, it's to serve others for his sake. And so we're to look for the welfare of others, we're to put ourselves out for them. And I want to say, of course, that means ministry will be messy and inconvenient. You know, one of the things I've learned is you don't always get to focus on 
your particular ministry task that you're you know, working up at the time, that you're trying to get done, that you're, you're trying to do well. Um, your strategic plan just sometimes goes out the window, like this weekend really, where I wasn't able to get the parish council agenda out on Saturday early when I was supposed to because I had two unexpected pastoral matters come up that I had to schedule in and so it went out Sunday afternoon and uh, at 11.30am Andy rang me up to say, I can't preach tonight, I'm losing my voice. And Well, you just throw out your other plans and get on and do what's needed. Uh, now let me just check here, uh, who under 30 knows who Peter Cosgrove is? Peter Cosgrove. I'm glad there's a few hands, that's good. He is the recently retired Governor General of Australia and before that he was a General in the Army, in fact the Chief of our Australian Defence Forces and before that when he was an ordinary Army General, uh, his, his biography is great, it's about kind of you know, lessons for life and leadership from a military man and he was I guess most famous for leading Interfet. Um, I don't know what the acronym stands for, but it was securing the safety of East Timor after it voted for independence from Indonesia. Uh, very, one of the kind of sadly relatively few times when one of those international peacekeeping forces actually kind of succeeded. And one of the stories in his book concerned the soldiers of 3RAR, that's a kind of military division, and they were in this isolated enclave of East Timor that was actually located over in West Timor completely separately, a little, just a little coastal bite called Akusi, I don't know how you say it properly, but they were completely cut off from the bulk of East Timor, the new com- country, pretty precariously on their own. And visiting the troops over in that West Timor, East Timor bit, uh, General Cosgrove uh, was asked by a lowly corporal if he could send a doctor across to work in the area. And General Cosgrove replied, well, are the soldiers sick? No, it's the impoverished locals who needed help. Well, said Cosgrove, that's a civilian matter for the UN. And the corporal said, thank you, sir, and explained that the previous week a panicked man had asked him, the army guy, for help because his wife was in labour and for some reason all the village women were away, so she was on her own. And the corporal ended up delivering the baby. And Cosgrove kind of softened a little bit, loved this guy's spirit, and said, corporal, I understand that midwifery is not in the job description of a machine gunner. And the soldier actually kind of answered him back and said, well, actually, I'm not asking for a doctor for routine births. But his reputation had spread, and so just the day before, this time he'd had to attend another delivery, but it was a breech birth. Some of you, you don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? Okay, that's... Yeah, okay. PD's not what it used to be, but never mind. All right. Okay. Okay. the guy wasn't able to just get on with his military task that was given for his job. Uh, how did I apply it to the deacons who are being ordained to serve in churches in public ministries? I said the minister should be the first to help when someone throws up in the church hall. 
It's not in your job description, but get down on your knees and clean it up anyway. Now, of course, this does not mean jumping to every person's demand. Did you notice Paul says he serves the Corinthians, but he does not say they are his masters? No, we do what is good for others but not necessarily what they want because we do good for others for Jesus' sake. And of course their greatest good is to hear about Christ and to submit to Christ as Lord and so we keep telling them about Jesus. We preach or we proclaim publicly, personally, uh, in season and out in season as Paul says one time. Sensitively, yes, with appropriate discretion and humility according to the context but persistently, whether in the end or not, people like it. There's plenty of hardships along the way in ministry and Paul talks about the, the opposition. He actually uses a lot of imagery of wrestling and boxing and military combat and manhunt in verses 8 to 9. He says, yeah, we've been knocked down but we're not knocked out because... Jesus' resurrection secures our resurrection so we can fix our eyes uh, not on what is seen, says at the end of the chapter, you know, the earthly health, the success, the, the ministry progress, but on what is unseen, on Christ in heaven. Now, some years ago, I, um, I heard or I read uh, Bishop Rob Forsyth. I can't remember uh, whether I was hearing or, or reading him on this passage. Uh, it doesn't matter. But the verse he was drawing attention to, not my verse, it was verse 7. A couple of verses later uh, where he says, we have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. In a clay jar, a pottery, its fragility is obvious. Uh, you drop it, it breaks, it chips easily. Uh, but Rob's point was actually that clay jars back then weren't just fragile, but um, they were the alternative to the good ones, the, the gold and the silver cups. They were the, the cheap and you know, readily made, readily disposable containers. He said our modern equivalent might almost be the styrofoam cup. Uh, you know, easy to crack if you kind of grab it a bit firmly and, well, it's easy just to you know, throw it away when you're done with it. I doubt you'd be caught dead serving coffee in a Wollongong cafe in a styrofoam cup. Uh, but as all you addicts rush to grab your takeaway hit tomorrow morning uh, before uni or work, um, one thing I bet is that you're not focused on the cardboard cup. Uh, you know, that is unless it leaks like they very occasionally do. But it's only the contents that give it its value. You know, rubbish coffee in the fanciest keep cup, the fanciest mug, it doesn't please anyone if it's rubbish coffee. But when you've drunk the reviving nectar to the bottom, what do you do with the cardboard cup? Well, you just crush it and bin it, don't you? And, and, and that's where the emphasis is. 
not on the container but the contents. Uh, We as containers of the gospel are fragile and fallible. We, We feel pressured by the ministry demands that come on us, the ministry struggles we face with people resisting or... Well, I hope you'll remember this text of scripture tonight. Steve, it's your ordination for Canberra text. Matt, wherever you get a job, it's your text. Right here in Wollongong, it's your text. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. Because it gives you the manner, the matter and the method for your ministry. Preach Jesus Christ as Lord with yourselves as people servants for his sake and no matter how fragile you feel you'll be offering people the priceless treasure of the gospel.